Judas willfully misinterprets as waste Mary's extravagant act of anointing Jesus' feet with costly perfume. Jesus recognizes that her lavish gift is both an expression of love and an anticipation of his burial. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The Gospel of the Lord. Let's start today off with a little bit of a nerd out. Wednesday afternoon, I Zoom attended a lecture at Vanderbilt Divinity School titled Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John, a Case of Textual Suppression. It was presented by, PH, by Duke, PhD candidate at Duke, Elizabeth Libby Schrader, whose master's thesis was published in the Harvard Theological Review as, was Martha of Bethany added to the fourth gospel in the second century? Martha of Bethany, from today's gospel. Not yet, Dr. Schrader presented pictures of the oldest known papyrus of John's gospel, dated to about the second century, looking specifically at the 11th chapter. Now, you maybe remember that in John's 11th chapter is when Lazarus dies, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, both say to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. Now, Libby went about geeking out about how fun and cool are manuscripts, and she pointed out all sorts of evidence that the character of Martha was potentially added after the events depicted, including pointing to different places in the Greek where the name Maria, Mary, was changed to Martha, like somebody, you know, took their pen and wrote over the letters, changed the letters, the shape of them. And there's other verbiage about whose sister is mentioned, is it this, is it that, we're not really sure. And then there's like some 450 errors about inconsistencies made by the scribe and so on. She's theorizing that this scribe may have been working from two different sources and points to the differences between this oldest known Greek and the oldest available Latin from about the 5th century, and then she's even showing later in 1611 with the first printing of the King James Version of the Bible, and how that differs from the next printing and our even modern KJV. And then getting to Mary Magdalene, there's an emerging theory among scholars that given all the anxiety about her in, in the text that some of these other women in scripture, including Mary and Martha of Bethany, 
are actually all her. That in order to control Mary Magdalene's placement or her significance in the narrative, she's been broken into multiple people to limit her influence. Mary Magdalene is presented in all of our four Gospels as the first person to witness the resurrection. She is the first person to witness to the resurrection, becoming the first apostle declaring the good news. And then she's not mentioned again. Even in Acts, which is like Luke part two, she's not mentioned. And Paul, even though he talks about other women, doesn't write about Mary Magdalene at all in any of his letters. Okay, so let's actually look at today's gospel for a moment. We've jumped from our usual Luke in the year of Luke into John, where we will, spoiler alert, be spending most of the upcoming Easter season. Normally, I would wonder why we're making this jump from Luke to John today, especially when we're back to Luke next Sunday, but the switch kind of makes sense today. We're talking about Jesus being anointed at a dinner, and especially if you've been in the book study, you might recall this. All four of our Gospels give an account of Jesus being anointed at dinner. Matthew, Mark, and John all put this episode in the overall narrative arc of Holy Week. But Luke places the anointing of Jesus early in his ministry, still back in Galilee, um, about the time that Simon the Pharisee follows him as a disciple. So it makes sense that we hear John's story today, especially as John places this, this dinner, this anointing, right before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, which we'll read about next week from Luke. But placed in John, before the entry into Jerusalem, six days before the Passover, as our text tells us, we are again in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, and we are with the family of Lazarus, Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. And it's a story full of symbolism. Just a handful of them. We start with smell. Because we're with the family of Lazarus, we are meant to remember that Lazarus was dead and was raised. And we're giving the, given this contrasting olfactory description. In chapter 11, when he has been dead and in the tomb for four days, we imagine a rotting stench. And maybe your imagination is really active and you can imagine the stench so bad that you can even kind of taste it in your mouth. It's gross. In this story, the nard that Mary uses on Jesus is a pleasant and pervasive perfume filling the whole house with its fragrance. Imagine the sweet smells that you like filling your home. And then we talk about feet. Mary pours all of this perfume onto Jesus's feet and wipes up the oils with her hair. This is a preview of a few days from now when Jesus will wash the feet of his disciples as they are gathered for Passover and their final meal together. Both stories of anointing and washing feet point to generosity and extravagant offerings in the care of one's friends. 
and it's extravagant, not the kind of things that we do every day for our friends, sending silly texts, how are you, whatever. But that rare opportunity to do something really special for that friend, same kind of thing that if they were to try to do it for us, we'd be like, oh, no, 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 no it's too much. No, I, I couldn't possibly. Kind of like Peter, when Jesus goes to wash his feet, he goes, no, you can't do that. That's too much. We are meant also to associate death and resurrection with this scene. Lots of death. Lazarus was dead, and then he rose from the dead, resurrected to new life. Jesus will die within the week, and then he will rise from the dead, promising resurrection and new life for all. And of course, Jesus says that Mary has anointed him for his death. When G Judas protests Mary's extravagant gift, the money could have been used to help the poor. It's a significant amount. Jesus defends the gift. You will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. Again, an allusion to his upcoming death. It's also important, this last line, this last verse of our reading today, that Je when Jesus says that we will always have the poor, but we will not always have him, that we don't misinterpret it as a justification for us to ignore or otherwise contribute to the oppression of the poor or to put down the generosity of others. Generosity towards suffering people is not a substitute for gestures of love toward individuals we love, nor are gestures of extravagant love towards our friends substitutes for caring for the poor. Acts of generous love are for everyone to receive and to give. Now, if we turn for a moment to our earlier little nerd out, if Schrader's theory that Martha was added in the second century is true, and their support of this, some ancient fragments have Mary and no Martha, where Mary both serves dinner and then anoints Jesus. As we come to the close of our Lenten journey to Jerusalem, what changes for us if and when someone is added to the story? We talk about grief in Lent. Ash Wednesday reminds us of our mortality, and Good Friday is the day of death. But what if, instead of asking what we lose when someone exits our lives or exits our stories, we think about what is gained and maybe also what is lost by someone added? What is gained by Martha being present in this story? What is lost from Mary by Martha being present? How do our stories change when different people play different parts? Who or what stays consistent? In this story, with or without Martha, Mary anoints Jesus for his death. We remember her and what she does. We remember that she anoints the living one for his death and ultimately for his resurrection. How does 
one person's place change how we hear this story of extravagant love. Amen.